to the Summoning Hour. Hey everybody, we are back once again for an episode of the Summoning Hour podcast. This is episode 88, so we're getting there in the episode. So this is building up once again. You might recognize Christian's name from a previous episode where I did a little experiment with the format. Didn't maybe pan out as well as I wanted, but regardless, Christian proved himself to be a wealth of knowledge in the space. And since our last talking, he uh, has moved on and has kept building his awareness and building up collegiate esports. Now he's at AVGL. So today he's going to share some of his insights, some of his guidelines, some discussion about FGC and where that fits in with your collegiate clubs and varsity teams and content, content, content. Lots to cover, lots to talk about here. So let's dive on in and take a listen. All right, everyone, welcome to a new podcast episode of The Summoning Hour. We're back again with my guest Christian Gross from, I don't know, a podcast that we recorded a year ago. It was a multi-part one. It was an experiment for me and figuring out how we can have a collaboration across multiple esports groups and finding out what their problems are, their strategies for handling things. And Christian had a lot of wonderful stories and advice from back then, and he's been staying in the lane of collegiate esports since then so he offered to come back onto the show and he was just a wealth of information back then so over that time i bet he's got more stories and more information that's helpful for everyone so christian why don't you do a little introduction about yourself and your history with collegiate esports sure uh my name is christian gross uh, I am a previous collegiate leader for the University of Texas at Arlington. Um, I grew it from a pretty big organization to one of the largest organizations in the nation at the time. And now I'm working for AVGL and Boom TV, uh, running their product division. And that started in April, but I've been working for them for the past year or so. so. Awesome. So can you describe a little bit more about what being part of the product division does with Collegiate Esports? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, product in this sense is building out a tournament platform, uh, building out like community tools to kind of make things easier for college leaders and for the students. And it's about um, being able to use technology to kind of build the infrastructure, the infrastructure that hasn't been built yet for college esports. So my day-to-day uh, tasking is basically managing our developer and design teams, working with our collegiate esports teams and getting their feedback, uh, working directly with students and ambassadors and things like that and getting their feedback and uh, just kind of going through this loop of trying to make what we have currently better and uh, taking the great ideas for things that are currently missing in the space and trying to integrate them. So That's a tall order, given that there's so many different organizations trying to break into this space. There's so many different companies trying to break into this space. There's so much division in collegiate esports about whether or not you're participating in like NACE or uh tespa or any of these independent leagues that are spinning up and they're prolific Mm -hmm. across the space and then you have 
everyone or ABGL. ABGL, exactly. Uh, yeah, we I mean, do that too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so everyone's mm -hmm. kind of diving into this event organization and platform support, and it's not clear that there's a real front runner at this point because everyone's kind of got a little bit different of a take or what's the most important tool with these platforms. And so it's just interesting to find out who's going to be the one to pull ahead over the next couple of years in that you're going to have to be, or a lot of people are going to be partnering with the leagues or with the developers who end up spinning up their own collegiate leagues or organizations. So it's, it's going to be a challenge to become differentiating from other platforms, but then also best serve the competition, but then also best serving the student lifestyle of how a lot of these clubs are organized as clubs with students at the forefront. So uh, how does AVGL navigate the collegiate space with it being primarily driven by students? So here's the coolest thing about AVGL and the reason why I decided to join them instead of another group whenever they handed me the offer. Um, AVGL has always been very focused on community and building infrastructure. Those are the two things that they really care about. And we do competitive stuff, but the things that we do that are competitive are focused on inclusivity so that the most teams and the most schools can compete. Right. Uh, if we have well, when we used to run DreamHack main stage, right, uh, it wasn't about having, you know, the same four teams getting up on land with maybe one different per one different team of five up there. Right. It was about how can we get 20 or 30 different schools, some stage time and some experience of that being and have a format around that so that we can do that for them. Right? Mm -hmm. How can we get all these schools involved and do something for them that they couldn't experience elsewhere? And I think that there is, you know, the space is starting to crowd up a little bit. I think that there's so much opportunity in this space and there's so much untouched ground that realistically right now, it's not really a concern of stepping on toes or trying to compete for the same market. Um, and one of the parts of that is that AVGL's brand has been known as that we're not going to give you a $50,000, you know, prize pool for the League of Legends tournament. But what we are going to do is we're going to allow you to enter as many teams into the bracket as you want. So, you know, you've got a C team, a D team, you got five friends on the officer team that just want a place to compete against other officers, right? We'll do all of that too. And that's, when I was running uh, UTR Arlington Esports, that was the thing that I loved about AVGO, right? You know, it wasn't a replacement for any of the other leagues. It was a better supplement. <laughs> and uh, I ended right. up, the thing is, is over the years, if you track it, right, AVGL has been around, I think it's seven years now. Um, AVGL has been slowly rising while you've seen other organizers go up and down and up and down. And I think that that's what you're going to see. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, we're looking to expand and grow more. Um, Boom TV and subsequently AVGL because Boom TV bought AVGL in November. 
um, just raised a $10 million Series A. We're very excited about that. So of course, we're looking to do a little bit more expansion and things like that with some new cool events and infrastructure. But realistically, you know, the vision from the corporate team here is that slow and steady uh, wins the race. And that especially right now, with the way that esports investment has been um, like pulling into the space, uh, and the way that COVID has been kind of hitting the market, realistically, <laughs> I think the bubble, I think everyone can agree that there's a bubble. I don't think the bubble is going to pop, uh, but I do think it's going to deflate. And with that in mind, it's better to not have like all of your assets out there, you know, uh, a huge team, you know, buying huge offices and, you know, oh, spending yeah. on huge event contracts and stuff like that. It just, it doesn't make sense. You can't overextend yourself right now. So, yeah, um, but that's with actually, that in mind, yeah, we're not scared. Things, yeah, no, yeah. Investing in yeah. this space is definitely kind of a free space to invest in because at this point mm -hmm. it's easy to get access, easy to get into it. But if mm -hmm. you really want to see the return on it, you have to be invested in it long term. And especially because it's growing and it's yet, mm -hmm. I would say collegiate esports is really yet to be tested. Like we have mm -hmm. had some bigger events like ESPN taking on like the mm -hmm. number of events or the esports championship this last year where they had like four games, uh, Street Fighter, Overwatch, and a couple other ones. I forget which ones, but mm -hmm. like they, they were there on a main stage at ESPN, hosted by ESPN, mm -hmm. shown on ESPN two, I think it was. And so like it was there and it was broadcast. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's big events like that coming out. But then you have a, a lot of collegiate events or some of them being hosted even at DreamHack where it's in the bring your own computer section. So mm -hmm. it's not quite like main stage stuff, given DreamHack is already packed to the brim with things. But you can start seeing that there's going to be more of this effort. There's already been some lands for specific college conferences and everything, but knowing that there is this space to invest in and you could see some return very quickly, it may just not be the, the to the volume that you want. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in reality, um, college and college esports means a lot more to these big event organizers than many people know. Um, there's an entire section of time built out for the marketing people to reach out to all the colleges that are within driving or flying distance of the convention and getting them all out there with as many club members as they can, you know, get to come and uh, as many teams because that's all butts and seats and tickets in hand, right? And um, I can't, I can't really so from that, that perspective, those... yeah. I can only imagine oh, that having those colleges and being able to reach out to those clubs and students and being like, hey, we can get you tickets or we can help you get in and just be like, or do you want to volunteer and kind of let them to that front of the line? And I mean, that's how so many pe people have gotten into esports, prof into professional esports is just by being volunteers at events like this. And so yes. you start building or your college starts building a relationship with these events that are local or even maybe not so local, a couple hours drive. And you can make that work and then suddenly your college has a much better relationship and you become part of that feeding pool for whatever production that that group wants to go through so i could totally understand that marketing teams are now spending the time thinking about the college effort that's right there 
Yeah, you want to hear something really cool. So when I wasn't even president of UT Arlington Esports, when I was just managing all of our teams, right? Um, I've always been a huge FGC fan. And uh, I wanted to build an FGC. There weren't any people at UTA who wanted to build an FGC with me. And I said, okay, fine. I had a friend who uh, went to UTD and said, hey, you know, we've got six people here. I said, six whole people that are coming out to play fighting games together? Now, now you know, it, I was actually that surprised. Yeah, it was pretty crazy because we were playing Guilty Gear and Blaze Blue. It wasn't exactly Street Fighter or anything like that. And uh, I went out there, I met the people, and it was super chill. And we grew that uh, up to being able to host tournaments or monthly tournaments with like up to 80 or 90 people, weeklies with like 10 to 20. That's not important though. The really cool thing was that the people that organized it at UTD, whenever I was uh, going out to DreamHack for UTA and everything like that, uh, I had recommended them for. Uh, volunteering for the FGC out there. So two kids who were just starting a six-person FGC group literally worked right under Alex Jabaley, one of the biggest FGC figures. And now he calls them up every single year that DreamHack happens and says, hey, you gonna TO for me? There you go. What a jump, right? What a jump. I mean, that's How incredible. How cool is that? That's insane. Like, seriously, I mean, Honestly, if I could have switched roles with them the first time, I wanted to deal with oh, Alex yeah. Bailey. It's so cool. I but mean, yeah, no. Half of, yeah. half of Washington State University's esports is basically fighting game, and like they're trying, like awesome. they're a four or five hour drive from Seattle, and mm -hmm. so they're like kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's just you go there, or you go across state border to Idaho and to like into the city that's there. Otherwise, it's just a college town. But like they're organizing tournaments they're inviting other colleges out it's just that they're so far away that a lot of people are just like ah, it's not worth it but they are putting yeah. in time and effort to become like fgc eastern washington and it it's working for them but like if, if they could get that one little break and then explode out there suddenly fgc in washington gets a whole lot more serious because the seattle side like it's there but it's still kind of on the undercurrent of things so mm -hmm. We'll get there with Seattle, at least. Hopefully, yeah. Soon. FGC, FGC has to have community figures to uh, rally around, and if you don't have that, you're pretty screwed. It's very much like college esports. If you don't have a golden child that's going to organize everything, the FGC will dissipate. Um, oh. And then at, over time, you can start having it where you'll have multiple like really key figures, and one key figure can leave, but you're still at risk of like if two or three leave, then things start to just break down and then no more I like, fgc i like to visualize western washington fgc almost like the mob families from the godfather it's just like you don't step on my turf we don't step on yours my turf is monday wednesday friday or every other thursday and you leave us alone we'll leave you alone our tos are untouchable so you don't you can't post them or we're gonna we're gonna retaliate I, mean, I tried running an event, and as soon as another event found out that we were running a casual night while they were running tournaments, but we were talking about doing tournaments, like some of the guys from a local community college, they were they went out to both events because the other event was Tekken every other week, 
and mine mm-hmm. was just a Tekken every week. And as soon as they went over there and said, hey, by the way, when it's not a Tekken night over here, you can come over to and do this event. And the TO organizers were pissed. They were just like, nah, none of that. Who are these people to step in and try and run an event on our day in our space? I'm like, I'm new to this. I'm just trying to run something and build something on the east side, basically. And, like, it was it was, it was crazy. It, it got... Dude, yeah. They don't mess. <laughs> they don't. They're seriously proud of the communities that they're building. And I could totally mm. understand someone else stepping in for the wrong reasons and just kind of destroying what they've built up. But at the same time, you're running a 120-person Smash tournament every week, and your Tekken, mm. your Tekken event is every other week with maybe two people. So give me a yeah. break. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, in... A situation like that, realistically, what the TO wants you to do is just run it for them at their, <laughs> at right. their event, right? Like, grow Tekken with us, right? So, yep. And sometimes that makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. I always liked being an independent organizer just because, realistically, other TOs in the space don't scare me. <laughs> I, I know who I know who my TOs are in the area and hanging out with them. But um yeah, no, FGC can get really turfy. And while we're on the topic of FGC and this is a college esports uh, podcast, I wanna talk about that for a minute, right? Please. I think that FGC is one of the most criminally underutilized communities on campuses. Um, And there's a multitude of reasons, right? The first reason is the inherent console bias of clubs. So I won't get into the reasons why, but I will say that Twitter has been uh, exposing some of the reasons (laughs) uh, or for similar reasons. Um, Some of the other things uh, that FGC has problems with is that um, it doesn't want to be a part of esports. So inherently, when you're talking about college esports, that tends to be a problem. But um, the benefits, and for any club leaders that are out here and thinking about, you know, how do I build fighting games up in my uh, club? Um, the number one thing to do is just give people an opportunity to be that golden child for fighting games at your university, right? Um, you probably, if you don't care about fighting games, you're not going to build up a FGC at your college. It's not going to happen. Um, it it just isn't. (laughs) Uh, but if you are open to finding people in your local community, the very likely thing is that there will be at least one organizer at your university who would like to see FGC at your university. And now what you need to do is give them resources to um, be able to build it. And literally the only resource an FGC needs is a way to take payments and a room. Exactly. <laughs> like that's it. If, if you have a good room and do you give them a square little doohickey for their, <laughs> for their phone, <laughs> uh, they should be good, right? Now FGC can be a little poverty sometimes, so we'll bring out quarters to pay for a $5. <laughs> five dollar entry into the tournament but i mean as long as you don't mind taking five bucks and quarters too and then depositing it or something like that you'll be good um but yeah i think fgc adds a lot to a school um one of the reasons why you really want fgc with, with a school is that um it's a really good 
living space. So if you have a Discord or something like that, the FTC Discord will have more conversation than any of your other games. It's going to blow up. Um, it'll be very similar to Smash if you already have Smash. So in terms of being able to organize it from like a club perspective, you don't have to do anything new. Like the, this is pretty much the same thing. Yep. Um, and then the third really great thing about it is that you'll find people who are natural leaders, natural organizers, super grassroots to bring into your organization for things that aren't FGC. Um, through FGC over the years, I found a bunch of people who have ended up giving opportunities and working with in some of my projects just because they had that spark. And they, if I gave them something, if I asked them to do something, I knew that it would be done and they would put their own spin style on it and it would be fantastic. And it always was. Um, so those are the type of organizers that you're getting from a really healthy FGC. And uh, every club can use that. So go create your FGC today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, exactly. it's exactly what you're talking about, where you can give the FGC a spot and a place, and then they just take it from there. And knowing that they have that history, even before professional esports, as we know it with, through Overwatch League and Call of Duty League and all that, like FGC existed in the 90s when it was arcades only. FGC yeah. existed in early 2000s when CS was starting to get its uh, its roots underneath them and having a history of online tournaments before they were allowed to have lands before League of Legends and all the FGC has existed all before then which also leads to some of the uh, conflict in how it grows is because especially in the collegiate scene is because everyone is since everyone is allowed to show up at Evo. <laughs> and everyone is looking for their local tournaments to prove what they're best at. There's not necessarily a lot of drive to host a college versus college, like crew battle type thing or a tournament like that, because everyone's aiming for that top, uh, top tier tournament that everyone's allowed to go try for. There's a lot of razzle dazzle about going to Evo or some of the tournaments in California and stuff. So FGC isn't limited by tournament organizers in a collegiate space as is like the riot leagues for league of legend and soon to be valorant i'm sure but fgc already has that culture of putting up those big events on a pedestal and not necessarily wanting to do these smaller events unless they're very tight-knit local events and you get to some communities like socal norcal where it's just like this is where the best players in the country go to train but then there's also like new york scenes and stuff like that so college collegiate fighting game communities have they have to negotiate that history and also being able to take it and grow it because as soon as you label esports it suddenly means something different to other people and either we have to as a collegiate esport we have to negotiate and understand that this is not going to be FGC only. This is going to be FGC with an esports take on it, which mm -hmm. some people I don't think really anyone's really negotiated that or really navigated that way that feels authentic or real or respectful to FGC, but then also to grow it in a mostly online centric platform right now. Uh, now everything's online, so maybe that's changed because of COVID, but in time, I hope to see fighting games really take a place in. 
uh, collegiate competition. My favorite example so far has been the Smash Crew battles at the esports Egg Bowl between Ole Miss and Mississippi State University. Like it's one game out of I think it was seven, seven or eight that they play in the Egg Bowl, and where each game counts as a point towards winning the whole event. But in a crew battle, I think it was five players, and they did a Smash one v one crew battle as part of an overall event, almost track and field style which was really cool to see and it's a great take and it's something that was original coming from these two colleges that are historically rivals and it's great to see that collaboration so i hope to see more of that take and involvement with fgc in the collegiate space but it's also up to so many other leaders who are passionate about the fgc absolutely and i think one of the things that is missed pretty often with fgc2 is partnering uh with or collegiate fgc is partnering with local events you know everyone wants to organize their own stuff but um every major metro area which is where a lot of these colleges are has some sort of huge fgc place and all of them are looking for fun, new, interesting content to add to their tournaments, right? So if two times a year you have the college grudge matches and all the colleges now have a reason to drive out for this because this is going to be on a stream that's streamed for 100, 200 people. All these colleges are being represented. Suddenly this looks a lot more like esports than it looks like traditional FGC, but it's still good for traditional FGC. It's still good for esports. The FGC gets to build some more history around these players so that on their own broadcast, there's more stuff to talk about, right? And it gives it um, a little bit more of a flair. I think that, that that sort of thing is something that's missed really often. Um, I'd really like to see a lot more of it. And we, we did that a little bit in Texas, but honestly, I, I still think that it's not done anywhere. Like Maryland, for, for example, when I was up in D.C., right? Maryland has Xanadu, right? Like VG Boot Camp lives at Xanadu. They're literally <laughs> like the organizers. I talked, uh, I got the um, opportunity to talk to Gimmer, right? He's one of the part owners. And uh, he is like, yeah, I'd love to do more college and uh, high school stuff out here. I just have no one to run it. It's like, that's all? That's a huge opportunity. Someone who listens to this, you get your button gear and start organizing. If, if you are at UMCP, UMBC, if you're at George Mason, if you're at any of those big colleges with esports over there, go to Xanadu, go talk to them about doing something cool with local colleges and local high schools. It, it's right for the taking. And any of you that are at any other places that have these huge historical FGC presences, and my schools, you know, UNT, UTD, UTA, all of y'all included, if any of y'all are listening in, you gotta do the same thing. You know the esports arena is run by FGC people. You know that the esports stadium is run by FGC people. That's a $10 million facility. Jonathan out there will do anything to get more FGC stuff out there. So. Do it. Make that conversation. And, and that's, the... that's mirrored everywhere, right? And you can tell me if it's true in the Northeast. Oh, or it absolutely is. Yeah. I mean, anyone I've talked to who's like, I've never organized a, a tournament before, never run it before, FGC members are the first ones to say, 
this is how I do it. This is all the detail. This is who you're going to need. This is how many people. This is what you want. And it's, it's almost as self-organized as well as like groups I've seen run like the amateur qualifiers for like when Heroes of the Storm was doing its pro league and doing its esports segment. Like Heroes Hype was running the qualifier league to see who would have a chance for relegation matches against the pro teams that were the worst performers. So like we ran that and like that was pretty well handled, but I've seen FGC people who are just like, yeah, I'll organize a tournament and just like kind of do it nonchalantly and not make a big deal about it. But they could, if they wanted to do more with it, they could turn in, turn it into a huge production. And one of my thoughts is one, you're on a college Two, you're mostly most likely having some notoriety in your local scene. So you have leverage to use that brand and that as an opportunity to source outside events and like, take Oklahoma or University of Oklahoma they did uh, a, an outreach to local libraries to get kids to go to the library to learn about esports and to have a coaching uh, mentality of teaching right online behaviors as well so it helped kids get into the library which the library saw benefit from so take that idea that was one event at one library if you were to partner with the 8 to 12 libraries that are within an hour's distance around your college and said we want to road run a rotating league through your libraries whether it's fgc it could be a racing game if that's more pc or whatever the library is more accepting of rocket but league. like rocket league exactly do rocket league at your local libraries and if you did a rotating event a circuit of sorts of you participate in all of these and then come out to our 10 million dollar esports arena and have like a full-on event that comes in after that and each of these events can be streamed like that's a huge boon for anyone in the local area and then suddenly that library becomes an extension of your college and then that just becomes more and more representative of esports in your area and texas already has that like it's all over the place you start reaching beyond your college beyond your high schools and stuff like that. and i know everyone's reaching high schools right now and looking for recruits and everything so this is just another extension of that and providing content and providing opportunities for different types of esports investments like like i could never compete competitively at this point but like i could still organize the shit out of an event yeah yeah, and I think that a lot of us came from that, right? I started in esports overall playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare 1 and then CSGO and League of Legends. And all those games, I was like, man, I want to go pro. I'd have dreams where I was like, man, I'm going to be killing Faker. I'm going to be you know, on Optic, <laughs> beating FaZe and those sorts of things. And uh, I realized I sucked. <laughs> I was never going to. I, I was never going to be good enough to be able to be on those teams. I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to be a manager. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there you way, go. Find my way up. So that, there's a lot of people that come from that background. Um, the, there's one last thing that I want to talk about, and it's kind of related to what you just talked about with the libraries. I'm going to bring this all together, right? The last reason why clubs don't like to run FGC is it's a lot harder for sponsors, right? You can't have a keyboard sponsor or a mouse sponsor at an FGC event. It just doesn't make sense. So for your clubs that are having difficulty with this, you can still have headphone sponsors. FGC players still need headphones. Uh, talk to some of the earbuds and like the AirPod competitors that are out there. 
they're always looking to do sponsorships. None of the college markets have talked to them, but I know a couple of people over there and they're looking at getting into the space. That'd be fantastic. A great way to start with a bunch of people wearing these as part of, as part of you know, the event or whatever. Drink sponsors. Drink sponsors are number one here. If you can have a Monster or a Red Bull or a Madrinus or someone else out at your event, uh, G Fuel, uh, Mountain Dew, Amp, Razor, whatever their name, whatever their product was, right? <laughs> I mean, all of them Mountain Dew, great. Mountain Dew Code Red. I yeah. mean, you know all about Code Red, so. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I think that realistically having a good drink sponsor is incredibly important for growing your FGC. Um, it'll provide some stability and give people more of a reason to choose your place instead of another local around your college because they're not going to have a drink sponsor, I can guarantee it. Um, the, the last thing that you can do for sponsors for FGC is actually talk to some of the fight stick manufacturers. Uh, so talk to, um, oh God, uh, like Hori, uh, Hori does have a uh, North American rep that you can talk to. Uh, talk to Razor. Razor has a couple of reps that I've talked to in the past. Um, and see if you can make a deal there. Uh, it would be historic. Uh, you need to be a pretty decently sized FGC, but if you can do it and pave that path, then um, you're really going to start to see some fantastic growth. And uh, it's going to lead a lot of that FGC infrastructure uh, in college esports that I can't lead right now. Um, in terms of being able to fundraise and stuff like that and talk about sponsors, another really cool thing that you can do with your local scene is if you have a team that's local or something like that that plays matches, uh, talk with your local bars, talk with like any local restaurant establishments or things like that that have stuff on TVs. Find a slow sports day and uh, negotiate a contract to do marketing for the team themselves. It won't be hard to talk to the team as a college, right? Get this together. Say we have these 20 restaurants that are interested in putting your match up on these TVs. We can get this all distributed and everything like that. And it's going to be this amount. They used to do that at UTA, bring in extra cash to pay for events and stuff like that. It That's wasn't brilliant. huge contracts, a few thousand here, a few thousand there, but it was a nice extra form of income. I mean, so, few you're talking a few thousand when most clubs don't even have a budget and they're usually going to like their student body to get anything yeah. just so that they can get a couple computers upgraded. Yeah. Well, well you need to have, so th there's a lot of uh, butts on this, right? One of the butts Fair. is you need to have done it for your own school, right? Yep. So if you can prove that on campus or around campus, you've already ran a campaign with local businesses or with like a lot of parts of your campus or something like that, and you coordinated all of that, and you can put that together as like a one pager in your sponsorship deck of like, this is what we did. This is the success that we saw. These are the things that we learned then you're going to be set, right? Move forward and uh, now you can go talk to these teams and you've got a skill set that other uh, organizations aren't going to be able to do. So it's small things like that that are going to put you ahead of other organizations and let you do cool things that you care about that might not be cash positive like an FGC. Because <laughs> realistically, right. for the first couple of weeks, right, 
and FGC might not be cash positive, especially if you have to pay for renting rooms at your college. We were lucky, we got it, got our rooms for free, so all of our events always ran cash positive. But, um, you know, sometimes there are those costs involved, sometimes you wanna buy giveaways and stuff like that for those events, so uh, any cash flow is always useful. Absolutely. And there, there's definitely one aspect of the FGC, which I know a lot of clubs are champion for themselves right now, but they may not be really demonstrating it. And that's inclusivity, like either because the student body isn't that diverse in itself, but knowing that you also are inclusive of another community that is diverse means that you can actually promote that and promote that women can be playing games that uh that you have black gamers on campus and like that you're actually supporting them that you're actually giving them a place and a space where they feel comfortable and that way we're that way we're not just assuming that oh you play madden you play fgc because of how you look like that's not it you want if you're really walking the walk and talking the talk about inclusivity this is one great way to show face that this is what you want and without it like there's a lot of disparity between who is actually playing games on pc and who's playing on console and so if you really want to show that you are inclusive to a community this is one avenue to support them to yeah, really show face so with the final bits of this podcast i've loved talking about the fgc one of my great passions i kind of want to talk about avgl and get some of your thoughts about what what we're doing now and where our plans yeah. are at right um, so for, from a college perspective, right, um, I had a lot of issues as an organizer, a lot of things that I wanted to do that I couldn't because there wasn't the time. First thing that I wanted to do is content, right? I've worked with a lot of colleges. It's incredibly hard to fit content into everything else, right? You can do a stream. A stream is never difficult, but building right. content out of a stream that's when it starts to be like, okay, we don't have the people, we don't have the time, we don't have the expertise, whatever. The second thing that I really wanted to do uh, was in-houses for every game. I love, 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 love in-houses. Before I was even part of the officer team, what I was doing was organizing in-houses for League of Legends, and we used to have 30, 40 people going at the same time, and you'd be swapping people around and everything <laughs> like that. And when I was leading teams, that happened a little less. And when I was president, that happened a lot less. I think I got to run maybe three during my time as president. And since then, I haven't run it. Well, I've run some in-houses, but no college in-houses. And that makes me sad because it's one of my great loves in life. Um, but the thing is, is it's really hard. Um, like if you don't care about the actual organization part of an in-house, uh, which I can say you can probably count on one hand the amount of people in the <laughs> right? industry yep, that are me that like that. <laughs> I don't know. May maybe y'all can uh, reach out to me on Twitter or something like that and say, say if you enjoy that too. But um, not a lot of people that I've found enjoy that. And uh, one of the things that is really cool about that is that's something that you can automate with technology, right? So yes. what we're looking to do with AVGL is uh, build out tools for these colleges to be able to organize themselves. Um, one of the things that we're going to be coming out with in the next few months is automated in-houses and pugs, right? 
and it's not like across AVGL or anything like that. It'll be like, you can have it for your college. We have all of that set up where you can have a hub for your college and be able to just run everything just for your community only. Uh, for one game only or something like that, you can have it run automatically every week. So that's something that I was really caring about. That's great. In terms of content, right? Uh, one of the things that we do is we take all the clips that uh, people who have connected their Twitch accounts to the platform for. And uh, if you take a clip or if they take a clip on their channel and they've connected their account to your college, then uh, those clips get aggregated into a list under your college that your college's leaders can look at. You can have it set so you have to approve all the clips before they go out to the page, or you can just have it as an open free market, and they'll be sorted however you want it to, by game, by the uh, like the number of views, the number of hearts on our site or stuff like that. And it's a really cool way to have some just latent content, and then you can start being able, instead of trying to look through a bunch of people's streams or set up a program for people to send clips to you or something like that. If you're looking to highlight streamers at your college on your Twitter or something like that, you can spend five minutes looking through this queue, be like, hey, that's a cool clip, and just post it. Right? And I, I imagine that this also then becomes your student news network channel when there's no mm -hmm. programming going on. Like you can just yeah. fill up that space with content. You can make it the like i'm not sure if you remember the tv channel g4 like yeah, it was the yeah, gaming G4. channel it was like game like event it was gaming news 24 7 but yeah. then as they were ramping down as it wasn't that successful or that great uh they started turning into like a 12-hour channel and so it was when all this other programming was done then it switched over to g4 and it was fine that way it was like I mean, I think it was like 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. It was all like infomercials and stuff. But like, yeah. it's kind of the same idea. Like your student body already has content. They want to put it out there for students to know the news, the activities and stuff. But there's got to be downtime and dead time. And you just toss this in and just be like, hey, here's the sports highlights of the week from the last AV or AVGL sponsored in-house tournament. Like, there you go. And so like, like you said, making content is really difficult. Making good content mm -hmm is next to impossible given lifestyles of student college or college students as well as people who are also invested in esports but i 100 percent agree with you that making content is that next step which is why i'm such a huge fan of boise state and their emphasis on production like video production like where they're streaming 20 or more hours of esports each week and they have student casters they have student interviews from players that are on their teams they have everything covered and then they're also yeah. casting their actual matches. So they've built that up. And I think Emerson is probably the next closest to a different take on content in that they're a very popular and very highly ranked journalism school. And so they mm -hmm. ran the College Esports Expo this last February and the year prior. And so they're running a different type of content. They're running a, a, a conference. And what they can do, you know, I think COVID really messed up with their plans because it's all student driven. So they weren't yeah. able to go out and produce the rest of the content, but they had two day or they had an entire day of panels. They had an entire day of interviews being done with the, uh, with the panel speakers individually one-on-one -on -one, and they could have put all of that out as separate content as clips, yeah. as teasers, as a compilation. And that just goes forward. Like journalism, it matters in esports. Oh, it matters broadcasting, a lot. 
journalism, <laughs> broadcasting, it all matters in esports and and diversity also plays a matter in showing that this is what your college actually stands for. This is what you actually want to be promoting. So there's so much benefit for making content around this and everyone gets to leverage the college that they're on. So even when they graduate, if they were making content for your college and then they go on and they're still making content, your college could reach back to you or you can reach out to other people from your college in the esports space I mean, for all you know, like your alma mater is the same as Puckett, like, mm-hmm. and then you can reach out to him and be like, "Hey, I was making content for this, and I found out you went here too. That's so cool!" And so you have those connections, and that's what you have to build off of. You have to be building up everything, and content is definitely content and social media is like the two places where I see college clubs falling down the most. So if there's a better way of aggregate aggregating clips, if there's a better way of making sure that there is something for your college students to stream and cast and produce each week, that mm. is the absolute start. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're really excited about it because we're also, uh, we have the clips for your students right now. We're looking to be able to have it uh, aggregated per event. So we'll grab all of the clips from all the competitors in one of your events on our platform for that amount of time. So you can get the best clips from your channel and everyone that was competing and also streaming channels for the event and then do like a post-event montage through our stuff um, and be able to do all the editing super quick and fast without you having to know how to use Sony Vegas or Adobe After Effects. Yeah. so that's something that we're looking to do. I think that realistically, it's really hard to because it's hard to find people. And uh, that's not something <laughs> platform related, but one of the things I'll say is for uh, content and broadcasters, it can be hard to find people who are good broadcasters. One of the things that schools don't often do is go to their radio organization. Um, radio organizations on campus, you, radio, who the heck listens to radio <laughs> anymore? Uh, radio organizations are typically big on campuses because they are breeding grounds for people who are going to go out and do broadcasts for the rest of their life, right? Yep. That, that's who it brings in. And the, those people, those people, one of them is going to be a super nerd. In fact, a lot of them are going to be super nerds. I know everyone at UTA Radio and UTD Radio, they're all nerds, and I love them. But, uh, you know, if you're looking for someone, you know, talk to them. Be like, hey, you know, we have these tournaments that we're running. We're wondering if any of y'all were interested in gaming or trying to be able to broadcast. This is the X amount of viewers that we normally get. You know, we can run it. Uh, is just like a test. You can check out the equipment, uh, or if you don't mind lending us some of your radio equipment to get it done, that would be even nicer because then you, there's no burden for you. And, and all, and, all of that and, stuff, like, congratulations, you just upped your production, you found some great people for free, and you're helping on campus as well. So that's something that when you're talking to your university, um, you can say, yeah, no, we collaborated with radio and built out this cool, you know, program between the two organizations and stuff like that. That those again, when we're talking about multipliers and just building your college organization up, there's no one thing that you do that <laughs> gives you and, that massive growth. And like it's you were all saying, these like, small things. And like I was saying, like like you were saying, like you're not only are you improving your production value by having someone who's used to broadcasting, but then you're also getting 
them to come and say because chances are they're an audio file like they know mm-hmm. good quality audio they'll be able to help you engineer your your mix to make sure it sounds pristine yeah. and like that's just another avenue that it helps and just like i'm going to do with this stream i'm going to take this vi- i'm going to take the audio from this stream uh, and i'm going to turn it into an audio only podcast mm-hmm. and so yeah. you could do the exact same thing on your campus run your stream run your event have the broadcaster helping out and yeah. then you take the audio from it and during your when it's not broadcast time on your radio station or if you want to highlight some student news of what's going on and you want to play a clip from it there you go it's ready to go in audio form that you could put on your radio and it's more broadcast exposure for your broadcasters it's more online content for your student body to help them be involved and stay involved with what's going on on campus it's just more content and that's purely what all of these colleges need and kind of tying everything back together, it's also more content to uh, sell to brands, right? If you have all this content and they look at it, it doesn't have to have an incredible amount of views, but if they look at the content and it's high quality, right? What That's something they can post on their socials, right? Exactly. They have their brand, it's, if, if, it's, if it looks good, and it's like, oh shit, yeah, no, we want to have our brand on there. It might not be an extra, it may be a hundred, two hundred dollar addition to your contract. But again, when it's a game of numbers, right? Every little thing counts here. So make sure that you're adding that stuff in. Even it, don't be embarrassed at 26 views. Don't be embarrassed of seven concurrent viewers. There's no reason to leave that stuff off of the table if you think that it's good quality. Because Absolutely. realistically, if it's good quality, then there is some value there. So, yeah, that, and you know, uh, from a broadcast perspective, it's scary the first time. And a lot of y'all uh, getting into it are going to want to go out all out. You're going to want to get the lights and the green screen behind the casters and everything like that. The other thing that I'll say is don't be worried about running something scuffed for the first couple of weeks or months while everyone's getting a hang of it. Even if you pull people from radio, right? Even if you pull people from your organization who have done some practice on casting and stuff like that, it is going to be a learning process for everybody on how to get everything set up and how everything works and whether or not this is something that's worthwhile to keep doing with your university. And if you spend all of that sunk, all of that money uh, that you're getting from your organization, however you're getting it on this equipment, and then it sits in a back room or someone's dorm because no one ended up using it or something like that, that's a shame. Um, that's for the student organizations. We work with Boise State on uh, our production for some of our side events, right? They're fantastic. And I think that that for the varsity programs that are listening in right now, if you're not doing something like Boise State, then you're missing out. I had a good conversation uh, on Friday with one of the directors from, um, oh man, I'm going to get a lot of shit when I don't remember the name of the school. (laughs) (laughs) The first school that had scholarships. Please save me. It's not Maryville. Shoot. No. <laughs> now I'm forgetting. Oh no! Can we? Cut, uh, Kurt, Mul- cut Kurt Mulcher. I know yeah, the Kurt. name. Well, it, yeah, it wasn't. I wasn't talking with Kurt, but Kurt. Cool. RMU. There we go. 
I was talking with one of the directors from RMU, Robert Morris, and uh, one of the biggest things he is saying is varsity right now is looking, you're always looking for people that you can exit into the workforce, right? Yes. So you don't want, from a like scholarship perspective, it's harder to get a kid from League of Legends on your League of Legends team to a pro team than it is to get your kid from being a broadcaster at your college or an organizer at your college to being in the esports industry, right? It's in fact the second one there is a lot, a lot easier, yeah, like it, it is. especially for an RMU or something like that. So the way that they're looking at it is if you want to produce good alumni that are going into the esports industry and going out and doing great things and bringing things back for your college, right, and their alma mater, then the smart way to do it is start offering scholarships for non-player positions Absolutely. and start offering scholarships for support staff. And I wholeheartedly agree. And that's I think that that's from the varsity side of this equation where we need to be moving because right now the support staff needs to be professionalized yeah um, i mean between social yeah. media not being like social media managers not being paid very well when they're probably the one of the most important marketing pieces that you have like that's a big deal when you see and if you want to borrow from professional esports you see all of these teams and organizations hiring specific or pi partnering it's all contract most likely yeah. to be to have contract uh, contract content creators and that they are just con creating content for that brand and so you start bringing in and right now everyone who's i don't know my son is eight years old and he wants to be already be on youtube and is streaming and everything and we're doing what we can but like he's eight years old and he wants to be a content creator so now you if i if i'm a parent and i'm going with the interest and i'm growing him and he's still interested and i'm not becoming like a beauty pageant parent or like a stage manager type thing and he still wants to keep doing that and he gets to have an offer to go to college because there's a scholarship because of his content creation and they want content creators for video gaming which he's been doing so if he's been building himself up from eight years old until 18 when he's ready to go to college or whenever like that's a whole lot of experience that that college is then essentially hiring and paying for and the value that he would bring as an experienced content creator is going to be so much more valuable but you have everyone from eight years old all the way up to graduating seniors this year who have been making content for years content. Yeah. exactly and so it, it just makes sense to leverage your university brand leverage the scholarship opportunity because students are coming there for a reason and maybe just maybe in the next several years we'll see esports clubs and varsity teams being that driving factor why students pick certain colleges we already see it and we have high schoolers reaching out to these programs saying i want to go to your school how do i get to play on your teams like people want that already it's just not prevalent yeah yeah, and I think that realistically, that's just uh, a change in messaging that'll happen. Um, you know, hiring a full challenger League of Legends team that's going to be competing in scouting grounds is a lot sexier than hiring 
uh, two people to help with your broadcast program and you know two people that are going to help organize events on uh, campus and one person that's going to manage social media and community right like if you're looking from the perspective of like hype and being able to talk to your administrators and things like that believe it or not it's easier to sell the five students on the league <laughs> legends team because then it's like marketing and talking about you know getting students in and stuff like that and it's easier to calculate than retention is right it's a lot easier to calculate than retention is so you know from that perspective i think it's just time um we're, we're seeing a lot of directors start to move in that direction i think that as you see the maryville rmu harrisburg uh, UT Dallas, UCI, and the rest of the really big schools that are the movers in their regions, right, uh, start to change and uh, accept these sorts of people, and then they start reporting the results, uh, then we'll start seeing a major shift. And it'll be even more telling that after four years, if you see the content rise and everything start running a lot better at these schools, and they haven't said anything about it, that <laughs> It's working really well. Yes, so. exactly. I mean, I'm excited to see where these clubs and varsity teams can really grow to because I don't like some colleges have like a, a specific Twitter handle for their football teams, and like it's all it's all great there, and it, it's almost like public access TV for what content gets created there. But it's your kind of standard fare. It's like replay the match, play the highlights, replay the the new the student news segment, and there you go. You got like a a Twitter channel for your football team. But with how much actually goes on, with how much content each individual player can be creating on their own time, that then can be fed back into promoting the brand. Like there's so much more opportunity and so many more attempts possible based in esports than traditional sports for people to get your name out there for making that one clip that one meme that really just sets you off and puts you off into a league of your own or into a trend into a trend on twitter or a trend on uh twitch just by a, a clip or whatever like there's so much more opportunity because of the sheer amount of volume that an esports team can put out yeah, and if I can chill a little bit more, I think a little bit of that is on the organizers as well and the platforms. Um, we have a TikTok for AVGL, right? And we accept player clips. Uh, and one of the player clips for Rainbow Six Siege blew up 240,000 views. Suddenly everyone's looking at this kid's gameplay, right? Uh, for a League of Legends play between two teams, instantly 120,000 views, right? That those are non those are crazy eyes compared to everything else that you see and it's something that we started as just a one-off side thing because it'd be a cool way to showcase players there are people that are interested in this content and want to share it right Absolutely. and uh, there, there are people who are going to be coming into this from the outside saying hey you know I've played games I was at the college for you know eight years and it's so cool to see you know gaming really becoming big on campus and you they share a connection with your players now right um the other thing that i think is never talked about and I, I'm, I'm going to have this as probably the last topic that i can cover uh today i want to cover the uh, value of a fan okay mm. so the last thing that esports 
college esports does incredibly, incredibly poorly is building fans, monetizing fans, retaining fans, right? So from UTA's perspective, all I can do, because I only manage one <laughs> college's teams, right? For our Overwatch team, we had fans nationwide. When we had, when we went out to DreamHacks and stuff like that with the team, we had people from South Carolina. We had people from the Pacific Northwest. We had people from California. And we weren't even the best team, right? We were like number nine in, in the nation, okay? And they were like, we loved your brand. We loved your players. Whenever we would get like on the TESPA broadcast and stuff like that, our players wouldn't be disrespectful, but they would be, they would have character. They'd have right. something yep. to them. They'd be wearing their cool jerseys. They'd have their brand up, right? And it wasn't cheesy, right? It, it was something that was real. Like, this is who these players are. We allowed them to be them. And that built fans in the first place. Now, the second thing that we did is we had merchandise for them to buy, right? So whenever we were there at DreamHack, we said, hey, anyone who wants some UTA Esports merch, come get your merch. We have it all at DreamHack. We sold out of all of our merch That's at DreamHack. Just straight up because people wanted to buy it. When you went to Dream, I think that was at DreamHack Austin 2017 or 2018, there were more UTA eSports shirts than there were NIP shirts. There were more UTA eSports shirts than there were Team Liquid shirts. Oh, it was incredible. It was insanity. Our merch didn't even look that good because we we're student designers. <laughs> but but it, was, it was about having that group of people and having that connection. So now, now we had a way to connect those people to the brand and get them interested in it. And uh, in terms of retention, what you need to do that UTA didn't do and hasn't done in order to retain those fans, so those that's largely dropped off, is you need to be able to have content for them that's easy to view around the teams. And talking about having a separate Twitter for that or something like that, that might make sense. Your Twitters, again, don't be scared of small numbers, right? If your main Twitter is 2,000 people following it and your Overwatch team has 200 people following it, that is completely okay. If your Overwatch Twitter has 50 people following it, that is completely okay. Because as long as those 50 people aren't you, all the club officers, <laughs> and you know the president of the university, right? Or whatever, uh, if, as long as those are actual people, now what you're doing is you're building up fans and people who care about these teams, right? And it might be the parents of the people. I'll tell you what, when we ran UTA Esports, we sold parents merch too, right? There's only one player that you can give a jersey to, and you're not even making a sale on that. But their mother, their father, their grandmother, their sister, those are all sales, right? Yep. <laughs> those are and, all merch sales. And I mean, you, you make a connection, you make a connection, and you find out, <laughs> like we were talking about earlier, they go to your alma mater, or they went to your alma mater, and you can send them your your jersey, the one that has your name on it, and just be like, Hey, I found out you went here. I just wanted to connect with you, and here's here's a jersey. Hope you enjoy. Mm -hmm. Maybe it has their yeah. name on it. That would be mm -hmm. a great way to make an introduction. 
Yeah, absolutely. Right. And uh, we did that with um, the mayor of Arlington. We gave him a jersey uh, for UTA Sports with the uh, top heads of the university when we were talking with them about building varsity and everything at the school, they all got one. And it was a source of pride. Like I saw them wearing it out on campus on days unprompted. Awesome. <laughs> Seeing an administrator wearing a UTA eSports shirt going across campus was probably the proudest I ever was in my tenure as president <laughs> of uh, the program, just because it, it was a huge source of pride and it saw that there was support on campus for what we were doing. Right. Um, but we're, yeah, we're, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to say, let's wrap it up. I know that we're yeah. over. Yeah, no, it's all good. Uh, hot take. Who's got the best jersey design that you've seen? LSU. LSU, yeah. They're pretty good. I do like theirs. LSU, lucky. They're blessed with the best colors, right? Yep. Purple is my favorite color. Gold is an awesome color to go with it. Second thing is that LSU's uh, eSports' branding looks great. Second place. Uh, actually, let, let me do this around. If MSU continues, Mississippi State, right? If Mississippi State continues to put out merch like they have in the past and they're not uh, limited runs, Mississippi State goes up. Whoever is making the merch over there needs to apply for an internship over at 100 Thieves. I swear the next time that they have uh, some of their merch open, so we're not talking about jerseys now. We're talking about like some of their other merch. Yeah. Uh, that that's when that's when i really want to see because they've got this really cool it's like a long sleeve t-shirt and then on like the back right of the back uh it's like esports is not a sport esports is not a sport esports and then it has not like crossed out of it uh like esports is a sport and it's like it looks it's so streetwear and it's so ingrained into the brand identity of what esports is and the struggles and everything like that and it combines them in such a tasteful way that's still like you know you can be a clout lord and wear it that yeah. I, I i really I, i'm really impressed by the stuff that they're doing there so huge shout out to them huge shout out to jay deshaun because i know that he was uh, managing over that for a while he is also uh ex avgl and doing some cool stuff uh with his own brand um that's a kid collective so uh check that out if you like valorant tournaments but yeah uh, i think that from a merch perspective those two schools really have something special i would definitely agree they're by far my favorite clubs to be interacting with yeah yeah they need awesome, to go back I, I need to go back to lsu because I, I talked to ben hosford last time but he's since graduated and he's moved on i need to get back in touch with them but uh i just want to say thanks for coming on and syncing up with me again it's great to see that you're still successful yeah. in the space and that you're continuing the trend of pushing collegiate esports forward so with you at the helm of avgl planning out college stuff i have no doubt that there's more success in your future and in collegiate's future. So uh, if there's any way you want to share that people can reach out to you, by all means, take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, our, uh, if you want to work with AVGL or like plan events or anything like that, uh, feel free to contact me. It's christiangross at boom.tv. 
Um, if you want to contact me on Twitter and follow the things that I retweet, because I typically don't post on Twitter, it's at C Doggy Dog, S E A D O G G Y D O G. And uh, if you just want to talk, uh, I'm on LinkedIn at Christian Gross Esports, and uh, we, we can talk there. I tend to post a little bit more about some of the work stuff that we're doing and share some more of my industry insights there. So. Well, great. Thanks again for coming on. It was a pleasure talking with you, and we'll have to stay in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I always love doing this podcast. And, you know, if you ever want to catch up again, I'm always free. So thanks. Awesome. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And once again, you'll catch the podcast Monday morning, 3 a.m. Pacific time, 6 a.m. Just in time for your bed to couch commute for those starting work early in the morning. Uh, you'll have that for your ears ready to go. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and keep supporting your college esports scene. Later, everyone. Thanks for joining. Part two. Selling our podcast. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the podcast. Yeah, yeah.